you know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome. This is a podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Bissell, the founding host of the podcast, and I'm a sci-fi horror filmmaker. And my first feature film, The Alternate, has pretty much finished its film festival run and will be coming out to the masses sometime in 2022. I'm Liz I'm a writer, director, producer. I've made two features and I'm in development on about five more. I am a distribution consultant who does sales. And my claim to fame is that I was the manager of Sundance Institute's Creative Distribution Initiative. This week, we welcome filmmaker Omar Lopez on the show to talk about making his first feature film, Anna, who they pulled out of the river, which he shot on film in Tijuana. And we also talk about how he found filmmaking after being an artist for 20 years. After that, we chat about industry activism just between me and Ulrich and also acting. I'm going to put Ulrich on the spot this week. Maybe, kind of, not really. Before we get to that, Ulrich, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Kind of more the same of last week, just sort of like in the holiday rush of, oh my God, everything's happening. But yeah, I had a nice weekend. Started watching a new show, Station Eleven on HBO Max. Have you oh, seen yeah. this? I've not seen it, but I've heard. I've heard it's good things. It was good. Yeah. And then we got through those the three episodes they have out. And then we went to a couple other shows and they were very depressing. <laughs> we tried watching Landscapers and it was like such a downer. We were like, we can't. I know it's going to get funny and absurd, but it was just, it's like these people, their lives that are painted in the first like 15 minutes are so miserable. It's like, oh, I would, it's like, wow, that sounds so terrible. And then, yeah, we tried The Alienist and that was like really dark and graphic. And then we found Mayor of Easttown, which is also <laughs> super happy, extremely, yeah, <laughs> yeah super <laughs> cheerful. <laughs> but we were like, okay, we can handle this. And we were like, all right, we got, and we got through the first two episodes and we're like, okay, well, there's enough, you know, story we want to know about that we'll, we'll continue. But yeah, bunch of downer shows. But still, fun to watch. Yeah, I don't know. What else is going on with me? I don't know. I'm like procrastinating on delivering my assets for my movie. You know, I mean, it's really not procrastinating that much because I was like, okay, the today was the day that I was supposed to start doing it because I'm like done with my, my day job for the year pretty much. But like, you know, with taking care of a baby and like everything, haven't started yet, but I will. I will get it done. I have, I have time. I just, I want to, you know, I want to make sure I don't fuck up the delivery. That's all. Anyways, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing okay, actually. I You'll be very happy to know that I finished the entire Princess Switch catalog. I've watched all three of the movies and enjoyed them oh. to the hilts of enjoyments. <laughs> very good time. You're watching all these like substantial dramas. I just want to watch Christmas. Well, I started another Christmas movie on Netflix. It's called Christmas in California. So I just uh-huh. am going to continue my run of watching these Vanessa Hudgens or non-Vanessa Hudgens Christmas movies. <laughs> Other than that, I'm just preparing to head to Alabama for the holidays. I'm getting looks from people. I went on a hike. I ran into a friend and he's like, oh, yeah, people are canceling their plans. And I was like, well, we are still going. We're still going to Alabama. We got boosted. We have our flu shots. We're going. And I think I'm going to feel really I'm going to feel some trepidation about it up until the past past the point where we're in Alabama. So that's what we're doing is just thinking about travel and, you know, just living a life of delusion with fake snow and things shot in July and B-level actors falling in love three times, which is my favorite thing. Amazing. Yeah. I was actually literally just having a discussion about travel plans for the holidays. And I was just like, I want to go. I don't want to not go. Yeah. 
we should go. <laughs> but well, are you driving know, we'll though? Or are you flying? Dri- yeah, dri- driving. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's completely different. Like I was, I think it's like twenty hours to Alabama, and I was like, well, maybe uh, can we just uh, do that? <laughs> but we spent a lot of money on these plane tickets. And I think the thing that you and I may come together on is the fact that when you have little kids and they don't see their grandparents very often, like every single meeting is like very important, right? It's oh, like yeah. they're, they're going to see Colin for like the second time at year two, you know? Oh, wow. So for us, you know, we're low risk. I don't want to put it out there that I'm encouraging travel, but we, we've made the decision to go forward. But Sean gets tested every Monday, so he's in the clear right now. And I'm going to take an antigen, antigen test on Wednesday before we go. So try to be yeah, safe. As, as a person who went not only to like two different states, but also to another That's country right. to right. see his movie during the pandemic, you know, when Omicron was like just starting to peek its head out. Yeah, I have no leg to stand on. And here I am. I'm fine. I just had a test last week. All good. So, uh, and just got my booster. So, yeah, I don't know. I feel like if you protect yourself and you're aware of your situation, I feel like it's okay. But I mean, still with the kids, it's tough with the... It's scary. With kids who are too young to uh, have any kind of protection. It's like, what are you going to do? I don't know. Yeah. Tough. Well, speaking of protection, don't forget to... Sp- <laughs> I can never do this. Don't forget to support us on Patreon. Please. Every dollar that is contributed to the Patreon campaign goes to the making of the show. Head on over to www.patreon.com slash MMIH podcast. Also, as mentioned on last week's show, I want to remind everyone we're doing an AMA. Arik and I on January 17th at 2.30 p.m. Pacific time. For all Patreon patrons, we're doing an AMA and it's going to be over Zoom. We'll record it and send it out to Patreon patrons, but we're not sending it out to anyone else. So please, if you're if you're on the fence about whether to support the show, maybe maybe this AMA will push you over the edge. And then finally, check out the International Screenwriters Association, a partner of ours. It's an organization designed to connect writers with filmmakers through the programs they offer, including publishing your logline to industry professionals, consultation courses, contests, and they have a top 25 writers list. And we're going to interview some of those writers soon. Head to networkisa.org. Sign up for free today. But if you want to become like a fancy schmancy connect member, use our code MMIH2021. That's all caps MMIH2021 to get a $20 discount for new members. Good through January 15th, 2022. That's a lot of me promoting things that, that, that help our show. But without any more delay, here's our chat with Omar Lopez. All right. Welcome, Omar, to the show. Thanks so much for being here today. Can you give us the elevator pitch for Anna, who they pulled out of the river? Yeah, elevator pitch. 16 millimeter art house meets telenovela, all woman cast, Tijuana. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I'm really horrible, actually, at elevator pitches. So it's either that or it's like a five minute spiel. I prefer the shorter one. Thank you. Because yeah. you get a you get a taste. How many days did you shoot? So we had five days of principal shooting at first. I ended up reshooting a bunch of stuff. It was another six days. So it's like 11 days. But then on top of that, I'd say like another like, I don't know. I stopped keeping count. 100. I don't know. 100 <laughs> days. But not 100 full days. days. 
okay. but not not full day. So what happened was getting funding is starting this movie and getting funding. It, it was a real sort of you know not traditional sort of way of going about it. You know, we didn't just get all of our money and then go shoot it. It was very like piecemeal. And then San Diego and Tijuana. So I live in San Diego. I work and I've lived back and forth between San Diego and Tijuana. It's right across the border in Mexico. It's like a 15, 10 minute drive from where I live. Oh, wow. So when I say like a hundred days, it's like we had like so many like little things to, to shoot. Like I'd go over like for, you know, an afternoon and shoot like, I do a shot, two shots. I'm not even seeing, you oh, know, wow. just do like a couple things little by little. So it was like that. And it, it took 60 years. It was very sort of ass backwards sort of thing to do, but it, it came out great. And were you editing kind of as this was happening? So like you would like be editing and be like, oh my God, I need a shot of a cactus. Like, let me go back and get the shot or something like that. or <laughs> Sort of. Yeah. So there was a couple of, you know, a bunch of different things that, I think most of it was like money, you know, being like super, super, super low budget and not trying necessarily to shoot that low budget movie. So I guess what I mean by that is like, they say like you have X amount of money, right? So what do you do? I got one location, you know, one actor or two actors and, you know, make it small, work within your, work within your limits. And I definitely had limits and didn't want to work within them. So there's, Tons of locations. There's lots of actors. It's like the opposite of what you would do. So because of that, it, it, it was a very like, you know, shoot a little bit, get some more money, shoot a little bit more, get a little bit more money. You know, I think over so, the six years. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, so all said and done, like doing a little bit of money all over the time. Like what was the rough budget of the film? Or can you say what the rough budget is? Yeah, it came out to about like 40 grand. I got 18, 18,000 in, in grants. And then the rest was just out of pocket. Wow. And it, for six, something on 16 millimeter, I think, I mean, that's pretty, that's really good. It doesn't look like a $40,000 movie, I think. I think it, that's what they all say. Make it <laughs> <laughs> I say that too. Yeah, everyone, I say that too. <laughs> How did you come up with the idea? Well, I was actually thinking about this the other day, and it's a question I get a lot. And what I've been saying, which is true, is that initially it started off as sort of the jungle book in Tijuana with women. <laughs> I just want to say that I mean, like, I wanted like a character that is like sort of very kind of enigmatic, but also like a wild sort of unbeatable sort of character, you know? And then like episodes, you know, how like jungle book is sort of, I mean, like the book book, not the cartoon. It's like these like little like episodes. That's how it started off, really, the idea. And then it ended up as something completely different. But that was the seed. When I think of when I thought about this again, though, like last week, I was thinking about it. I realized that I had forgotten another, and it's hard to imagine that I forget it. <laughs> another thing that fed into the idea, initial idea of the movie was my grandfather. Do you guys ever start, you know, like a, a movie or a project based on just like one, like a, a vision of a scene or just like one yeah. image? Has that ever happened to you? That's why well, I'm doing that right now. And I think Auric's done that, right? First short film was that too. Yeah. 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 I think it's pretty common. You, know, you don't know what it is, but you just see like one thing and then, you know, it usually turns into something else. About eight years ago, my grandfather died and he got a, I didn't know him very well. He came into our lives like at the very end. He was an interesting guy though. And anyways, he died. They, I don't know if this is too grisly for the podcast, but they, they, they killed him in his, in his sleep in his bed. And that image always like, it stuck with me. And 
you know, this, Wait, who, who, yeah, who killed, killed him? Who killed <laughs> your grandfather? What's the they? Well, oh my yeah, God. Nobody knows. But when you talk to a close family, like nobody's also surprised. Like he was, he was kind of a, he was kind of an asshole. And like when it, that's, it shows you the kind of guy he was or like, nobody was surprised. Like, yeah, yeah, I could see that. Wow. Yeah. Holy moly. So I know you said a uh, 60 year project, but like, let's be real here. Like how long no, have you six. been working on? Oh, six. Oh, six. Okay. Six years that you spent working yeah. on the movie. Okay. Wait, cool. wait, I want to go back. Sorry. Did I miss how the grandfather was tied into this whole thing? So your grandfather yeah, so died. I had that image. Yeah. I had that image oh, in my sorry. head and this movie is all, it's all murders, but you don't see the murders happen. Oh. That was what got me on like the, this idea of like, I wanted to do like murders in TJ, but not the traditional, like everything that, that every movie I'm sure that you guys have seen that anybody else sees that has to do with TJ. It's like narcos or drug, you know, it's like drugs or, you know, crossing the border or prostitution. That's like, that's it. Yeah. So I knew I wanted to do something like that in the city, but not, you know, it was kind of ironic. I was like, I want to do something with murder. Oh, I'm tired of all these projects that like just show TJ as this murder capital. <laughs> Final question in our rapid fire round. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Compared to all the other projects you've made, how difficult was this one? I wouldn't say difficult. I'd just say like, I mean, six years, that's pretty, you know, lots of movies take that long. Like, lots of projects like take that long. But for me, so I came into movie making from art. So I just started making movies like seven, eight years ago but I've been an artist for like almost 20. And so six years on one thing, it's like, I just want to do, I want to work faster, you know? So sort of, I'd say it was more difficult than other projects I've done in that way. And that like, I had to do this one thing for six years, you know, and see it through to the end. But difficult wise, like it was just like shooting anything else. I think, you know, just more of it, you know, doing it more. Yeah. Does that make sense? I'm dying to ask a few questions that I'm going to combine them into one to be as efficient as possible. Yeah. Let's say I just put your name in the internet, which I did. One of the things it says is that, okay, so it says Omar Lopez is a filmmaker and artist based in San Diego slash Tijuana. He employs analog formats to produce collaborative work with strangers. And then there's also the fact that you shot, I mean, okay, that's the, that's the, main, that's the main thrust of the question, is that you seem to be doing things that are purposefully difficult at all times in the crafting of your work. <laughs> and I just yeah. want to know like a little bit behind that. I guess, I guess maybe I see it as like fun instead of difficult. I mean, it, it, you know, maybe there's lots of steps and lots of processes and difficult probably is the right word, but I see it, it's more like fun. So before I think the, the project that I did, or the big project that I did before I sort of, started making films exclusively was a, a tin type project. So, you know, I, I always shot like film, like analog film. And then I got into like tin types. And I think that sort of fed into my. Is tin type like the daguerreotypes? It's like the printing on metal of photographic. Yeah. Imagery? It's, yeah. It's very similar. It's just different chemistry, but it's the same sort of concept. It's your printing oh, on metal. Cool. Yeah. And the, the project, the big project that I did was, I made a little, I made a dark room on the back of my motorcycle and then I would arrange portrait sessions with strangers. So a lot of like Craigslist ads, a lot of, I put feelers out like just through friends and I would like ride out and meet these people up and down, you know, all through California. I did a couple in Vegas and in Mexico and I would show up and then we would take pictures as a pretend family. So sometimes I would be like a husband 
or a son or grandson or brother, different things. I think I've, I've went away from your question. Oh, the difficult part. Yeah, but yeah. it's interesting. It's, it's still yeah, yeah, yeah. interesting. Yeah, I don't think things like that, I think are just, I like process, I guess. And then, yeah, I guess it is difficult. But when you're doing something that's more like process driven, maybe you don't see it as difficult because it's part of the work. Does that make sense? So when you decided to make a movie, was it, was it always going to be on film? Was that part of what you wanted to accomplish? you know, as an artist, or was there ever a consideration of going digital? Or was that just never part of what you wanted to do? I shoot digital for things like, you know, like side gigs, like, you know, commercial stuff, or like, things for friends or promo things or stuff like that. But yeah, all of like the stuff that I I guess you would say, like counts, you know, that I would (laughs) say counts is on film. So yeah, it was always going to be that way. And it was 16 just because Sorry, go ahead. I'm, so, I'm sorry. You got to answer that. Like, what do you mean? Why does it count if it's film and it doesn't count if it's oh. digital? Like, I'm just really oh. curious to go into that a little bit more for you. Yeah, that's, that's just like a personal thing. Because this is another question that you get everywhere. Because when you shoot on film, you know, it's like, well, why film? And this question I've had since, like, I was working on, like, tintypes. Not to, like, uh, rag on people that, like, do analog or tintypes or anything. <laughs> it's just part of the business, right? But everybody has, like, their line. You know, when I did tintypes, it was like, oh, everything's digital and tintypes have so much soul. And it, all of that stuff is true. Yes, it is true. But there's a lot of like marketing in that, you know, mm-hmm. which is as an artist, you, you have to do that. So when I say counts for me, it's really just like a personal thing. And, you know, I'm expected to have like a line about like, you know, like we'll film, you know, just you feel it more because of this and that or, you know, <laughs> and, and those things are all true. but. I think I just shoot on film because you can't copy the look, you know, no matter what like LUT or like thing you use, you can't copy the look. And also I think it's like a different language. And I think what I mean by that is, I mean, I'm sure you've shot on like different formats, like different things, right? Even, even in digital, like never, never film though. I've shot on 16 and I loved it. Or even with, even with digital, like, (laughs) Without getting too, you know, on the tech side, you know, even shooting with different cameras and things, it, it's a different language, I think, in the way that you move and like what you see and like what you try to show. So with 16, say, I've got a smaller, you know, frame than a 35, right? If I want to like compose something, you know, I can put on a 35 lens, but I'm going to see half as much as I would on a 35. So I have to, you know, move back. To sort of get the same frame as something else, I have to be like a different distance. And that, you know, it sounds like just like a simple thing, but it changes, at least for me, it changes sort of like where I aim with the camera, how close I feel to the actors, how I move. And you you always operate, right? You're also implying that you're always the operator. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty greedy that way. I like like the camera. (laughs) But I think if even if you watch like you know, so like uh, like a movie from the 70s or something that was like shot on 16. It's not just like the graininess. It's not just the quality of the film. The camera moves different, you know? I feel, I feel like you can tell the difference that way. And, it's, and it becomes like a different sort of language. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I, I was going to counter with my, my digital, you know, perspective. <laughs> that like there are a lot of cameras that you can get that have you know, 35 millimeter lens as their standard lens. So that it is like, you know, when you're shooting on a red in their full format, you know, you don't have to like do all that stuff. But I mean, it really just depends on the tool that you have. Like all tools are different, you know? Yeah. I got nothing like personally against digital. I just like, I, it's more fun for me 
I feel like, like when I, I, you know, pull the trigger on the gun, on the, oh, Jesus, when I pull yeah. the trigger on the camera yeah, and you hear that, you know, it's stressful, but I think in a good way, you just feel like money going through a little, you know, machine, like you're feeding in money constantly. And then that, I like thinking about how, and this is the same even with just like still film. I like thinking about how like you take all these pictures, right? And like a roll of 16 is like thousands of individual tiny little pictures. And, you know, sometimes because of like budget or because I want to send a bunch of film at the same time, I'll hold on to this like shot reel for like a month or two months or something. And just to think that this thing is in, you know, it's in its little light safe bag and then it's in, this, in a can and the cans in the fridge. But just to think that like, there's all these like thousands of pictures still just sitting there and somehow they can like not go anywhere or not get blown away or something, you know, and then you get it processed and then you get it back. That's, I just like that. I don't know. I think we could talk about this for a very long time, but I'm going to move, <laughs> us. I'm gonna yeah, move yeah. us to a different topic because talk about process, going back to process, you chose to make a movie on the border between U.S. and Mexico which sounds like just hearing it as just like a lame person who may not understand, it sounds very impressive and ambitious because I would just assume that there's bure- like just tons of red tape that you have to deal with. And why put yourself through that? Why not pick a setting? Why go between the two different locations? I, I figure there's some other poetic, beautiful reason for why you're, you chose to do that too. And I'd love to hear your relationship to the border with this film. Sure. Well, I, I grew up, you know, since I was since I was a kid, going back and forth like all the time to TJ, and it's San Diego's. I want to say ugly sister. It's like San Diego's. Like you ever seen that Simpsons Treehouse of Horror episode where Bart has a twin? Oh, I thought you were going to talk about the Australia. I'm in Australia. I'm in America. I'm yeah. in Australia. <laughs> yeah. I thought that's where you're going to go. I okay, but yes, I know the evil twin one too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like that, but you know, to me, this is you know being a lifelong resident. It, Tijuana is so much more interesting. Than, than San Diego, you know, you can stick a camera on any street or anywhere, you know, and, and there's something interesting. And San Diego, like, I think as a city, I think it disavows Tijuana a lot, you know, as that place over there, when there's always really this like connection that's like always connecting the two, whether it's like people or commerce or culture. Anyways, I used to go with my grandma a lot since I was a kid, you know, like, three, four times a week, you know, to visit family, do business and stuff. And I don't know, it just, it just sticks with you. I think if you ever go to TJ, I think you sort of notice and you, you would understand immediately like, oh, you know, kind of how special it is compared to San Diego. And, you know, and it's right there, five, 10 minutes away. But you're disregarding in this answer, even though it's a good part of an answer. Did you have to deal with like a film office and have to like explain oh. things? in a, like an overly careful way about what you were doing on two, you know, on each side of the border. Yeah, I probably would have if we were bigger, but we were small enough that, that we didn't have to. So for all of my romanticizing and a lot of you know, all my friends in, in Mexico, they say the same thing. Mexico can be like two things. It can be very, you know, like no rules or street rules, or, you know, just like the people making up their own rules. Or it can, and it can also be like hyper bureaucratic. Mm. it's funny that it could be those, those two things. No, I got out of that because I think we were just small enough, you know, a couple of times in places that we'd shoot, you know, there'd be like some police and we'd just go tell them what we're doing. 
and I would lie and say I was a student and, you know, we don't have trailers, you know, trucks or, you know, giant lights and things like that. So I think because of the size of our production, they, they, you know, we sort of flew in under the radar. And then I'd say from the U S side, that, that would be just like the biggest, not challenge. It's just like time suck because (laughs) you cross into Mexico, you shoot. And then, you know, on the way back, there's always this line the line to get back and it just eats up hours and hours of your life. Oh, it's just like the actual line of cars that yeah, yeah, your production schedule. Yeah, yeah. It's always like after the shoot. So it does, it more just digs into my, your life. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to ask, like you talked about like your life as an artist and that was, you know, what you've been doing for many years and that you're now kind of new to filmmaking. Is this something that you're like, you know, pursuing as a new part of your career where you're going to, you know, make more movies? Or was this just sort of like one art project that you wanted to do and get out of the way? Or is it a combination? Like, could you just speak to that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. No, it's all I want to do now. <laughs> I think I sort of, you know, went the backwards course, you know, like and there's like an episode that you guys did about, you know, like life and death and you know, births and deaths mm-hmm. and, you know, how having right. kids affects you. And I think I just did everything backwards you know where i'm like benjamin buttoning it like i had my kids <laughs> i started at 20 and had kids and had tons of different jobs and my art practice was what's a good way to say all over the place like <laughs> every just anything that interested me you know i would now that i'm doing this project and then something else would interest me now i'm doing that project and then that all sort of like led to filmmaking and then i realized like one filmmaking was like always there like my whole life like it, the cliche movie trope would be, you know, like the two best friends that don't realize that they were made for each other this whole time. They were sitting in front, you know, standing in front of each other. It was that. And then also with filmmaking, I, I just think it's like, it's like the ultimate, if you're an artist, like it's the ultimate sort of medium because you can do, you can involve everything, you know, you get a concept, you write, there's art direction, costumes, you get to pick people, you make a world. And yeah, it's all, it's all I want to do now. Definitely not a one-off. You also are giving back, right? You have this fellowship program that, I mean, let's give anyone who's listening, I hope, hopefully millions of people are listening, but let's give oh, yeah. people a little bit of context in that you wrote, a, you wrote to us and you wrote kind of like, shared like essentially a press release about this project, but it was like, Ulrich and I, Ulrich specifically, will respond to anyone who writes us. But I would say very often we do not take cold pitches because they're not that interesting. And this was like the first one where we're like, what? It's filled up the, on the border and it's all women and it's shot on film. Like there are all these key things that were exciting. Yeah. But then it also said, I believe, or my. Oh, expert, yeah, it's in there. Yeah, you're, you're yeah, right. That you're running a fellowship to give back to filmmakers and help provide funding for, for their projects. Can you go into that? I would love to hear it. Sure. Yeah. And then a lot of that, a lot of that actually comes from, you know, being an artist for so long. So. I won't get in trouble for saying how frustrated I am with San Diego and the art scene because everybody here already has heard it. And it's, there's just not a lot of opportunities for direct support for artists. And that's, you know, all over, all over the world, really. That's not, you know, the big, usually it's, you know, institutions, different institutions will develop a program and then they'll hire artists, you know, as a part of it or, you know, there are artist grants and, and things like that, but it's not, it's not the norm. And in San Diego, especially, I've, it's, 
it's a frustration just that, that I've had of having to deal with like just no opportunities. And that's just as an artist, you know, and then for filmmaking, there's nothing. And I sort of, I really enjoy producing uh, is one thing, but I also, I really wanted to show like what's possible with direct support. Right. And I think that's what artists and, you know, film, you know, this specifically filmmakers can really use the most is just like direct support. So for the fellowship, you're not providing any like actual financial support. It's more like you're putting in sweat equity to help people make their movies and kind of giving your experience and like your knowledge to them to like kind of help get their projects off the ground. No, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely putting down some cash and that's another, you know, that's what I'm trying to sort of show these institutions. This is a very modest fellowship. So there's going to be two winning teams and each team gets 1600 feet of film, 16 millimeter film, 1600 feet of film. It's about 40 minutes. I pay for processing and I pay for the scanning of it. And then on top of that, myself and a small like group of artists will act as like mentors in like different sort of aspects that they might need. Nice. What is it? When I do the math, it's something like three or four grand in like cash that it'll cost. Nice. So it's pretty modest, but like, you know, something like this, if there was something like this, when I was starting off, that, that would have changed that, that would have done a lot for me, you know? And yeah. the, the typical model now is like, I don't know. I think it's sort of implied, you know, like we can't just give artists money. They're stupid and they'll squander it. Let's yeah. give the money to these institutions though, or these middlemen, because, you know, they're established and they're responsible and then they will find ways for it to sort of trickle down to the artist. And yeah. I just think it's, it's not the best use of money and resources. So I definitely have a sort of chip on my shoulder that I'm sort of like working with, you know, I'm like, you know, trying to just show what, that it's possible. And right. I think that when you pick your teams, are you picking them with a specific rubric? Are you like, well, I'm going to do the artist that Sundance doesn't support, or I'm going to do the art, you know, the, the filmmaker that is going to devote their life to working on analog formats? Like, is there some sort of mission you're trying to push forward when you're supporting a filmmaker? So like the two, like the only two real like stipulations are that, that the majority of the team be like 18 to 25. And you that... bigots, you little <laughs> ageist bigot. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> it just, I, I just also, I mean, there's a couple reasons. I mean, I, I don't think you would want mentorship from someone younger than you. And, and also like, that's just, it's exciting to me. My little brother, uh, one of my little brothers makes movies and they're totally different from what I do. And he's, you know, self-taught and they're, they're real wild. And, and just that sort of, you know, that energy that I think. Just you know, like young people, bring. you just like them more than old people. That's what I'm mean over like and over again. As people, I don't like them, believe me. <laughs> <laughs> 18 to 25. And then at least one person in the primary production team so that's like a director, producer, screenwriter, you know, it, it can be vague, you know, but basically at least one person has to be from the U.S. and at least one person from Mexico so that it's some sort of, cool. you know, binational sort of project. Those are the yeah. only real kind of like stipulations. So I think oh, to answer your question, like what rubric, you know, it's exciting in that, like, I don't really have like a hard rubric because I'm funding this myself, you know, it's coming out of my own pocket. I want, I'm going to be as fair as I can. But it's not, you know, I've worked on committees. I hate committees. <laughs> this doesn't have to be, you know, a giant committee. So I'm excited to see just sort of what comes in. And it's really just going to be what, what's exciting, like what looks like an interesting project. 
it could be something really small. He, in the text, sort of like if you see in the, in the, um, on the fellowship page and like the frequently asked questions, we're encouraging even, you know, like non-filmmakers or first-time filmmakers, maybe someone who's like never made a movie, but you know, they do something else, but they just have a good idea. So I, I don't have that hard rubric yet. It's really just going to be what looks, what looks interesting, what looks exciting. I'm, I'm curious, like of all ages to pick, why did you say 18 to 25? Like why not 18 to 30? Like what was the inspiration behind that? Like why is that age limit so important? I really just like, I don't want to say I pulled it out of my ass, but like <laughs> it really is just like, uh, it's like a number that I sort of thought was, you know, kind of fair. 18, just because, you know, you want to deal with adults so that you don't, you know, there's a lot less hurdles about anything. And, you know, we, you can have, it says that on the frequently asked questions, you, know, you can have, you know, people that are older than that. And you can have, you know, people that don't live in the region, you know, involved. But it's just, you know, we want like the, the primary people involved to be sort of like that age and like from here, that, that's all. Getting back to your on the ground film work as a, as a director, can we talk a little bit about guiding performances and directing actors? I mean, I know that you're working with a lot of local talent to the Tijuana and San Diego area. It sounds like mainly focusing on Tijuana if you're leaving Tijuana at the end of the day. But how are you approaching guiding their performances, especially coming from a still photography world? Is there a certain method that you employ? Yeah. So the cast and crew is binational. It's like from both. I keep saying both sides, but that's because in Spanish, you, you just say like, that's how you like refer to it, like el otro lado, like the sides. So the crew and cast is binational, but we shot the entire thing in TJ. Mm. Yeah. Guiding performances. We worked with a lot of non-actors. There's a few you know, people who had done you know, who'd been on other projects, but the majority of, of the actors were not pros or had, you know, had like almost zero experience. And they were really great to work with. I think what I did a lot of, and they actually pointed this out to me on a previous Q&A, the actors did, was that I would just change stuff. So like I have, you know, I had the script of the story and we have, you know, the scenes that we're going to shoot today, right? And we show up and you know, we rehearse a little bit or, or maybe even like shoot and like something's not working, but I feel flexible. I think with my story, you know, like I, I have an idea of what I want, but it doesn't have to be like exactly this. It's not like the Stanley Kubrick sort of way where it's like, this is what it is. And we're going to do this 2000 times until I get, you know, exactly what I want. <laughs> I'd wa- I watch them and I'll, you know, you see what someone is like and, you know, I have the dialogue written and they're saying it and it doesn't sound right. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not doing it right. You know, I can change, I would change dialogue all the time so that it sounded better, you know, coming out of a different actor because of the way they spoke. Or I would say, okay, I don't do that, but do this because I'd see them, you know, moving in a certain way. So what I ended up doing was sort of changing scenes so that they fit the actor instead of the other way around. And then when you made the movie, was it, is it in Spanish and English or one or the other or both? Or what's the, what was the decision there? It's, uh, it's all English. Oh, nice. And we get uh, this really nice effect, I think, of lots of different accents. Hmm. There's a Polish accent with, I don't know, I guess a couple, what you would just call American you know, accents, different kinds of Mexican accents. And they all, I, I think that it helps add to this sort of like weird universe that the story takes place in. So it's an all-woman cast, but it's also an all-woman world. In this sort of universe, there's no men, but it's not like a sci-fi thing, or it's not like 
you know, we're not like avoiding guys, you know, in different scenes. There's just, there's just only women in this world and it's never explained. <laughs> and I think those, those, yeah, I think those accents kind of help feed into that. So did you just frame out any guy that wasn't in the shot basically, or was like you could for back? Cause I'm sure you shot some back, some wide shots that were just of an area, but you know, you might've had extras walking in and out, but you just made sure that there was no men ever. Yeah. That only, that was only a problem a couple times. Like you scenes that we shot at this park, that was kind of difficult avoiding that other than, because you know, we didn't have, we couldn't shut anything down. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So th- I think that park, the, the shots that we shot at this park were, were the only sort of time I think we ran into that. Everything else was pretty much, this is not a closed set, but so we shot, like TJ has a lot of tourist spots and like famous, you know, sort of landmarks sort of things. And those weren't interesting to me at all, like especially like for the movie. And so we really shot in like the suburbs, the, all the non-touristy sort of like parts of TJ. So it wasn't a closed set. It was more just like kind of like an empty-ish set most of the time. And so that wasn't really a problem. Nice. The name of our podcast is Making Movies is Hard. And you seem like uh, like this was not hard. So I'm trying to dig a little bit. Like, you're like why did he even... <laughs> well, no, I'm actually, I'm really glad you're on the show. That I'm just hearing this completely different perspective. But it also seems like you have a flexibility to your vision. You have a flexibility to your process. So much so that none of this appears to have been arduous for you. And it just seems like it's been really satis- satisfying. Is that, is that accurate? Like, was it just this wonderful experience? Yes and no. Yeah. Well, the, the shooting, yeah. When, when I'm shooting, if there's catastrophes, if like nothing's going right, you know, that's, that's fine with me. <laughs> as, long as, I'm, as long as I'm shooting. Everything else is really hard. Like, uh, like oh, my God, like getting the money for it. You know, I'm raising funds for like my next projects right now. I want to blow my brains out. Like this is the worst. I hate it. <laughs> I would trade, you know, a week of catastrophes on set for like, you know, one day of, you know, I'm just on the computer. I don't know when the last time I touched the camera was. <laughs> that part is hard. The shooting, I don't know. Maybe this has to do with, with the kids thing though. But like, you know, I have three younger brothers are a lot younger than me. I raised them a good deal. I had my first kid when I was 20. You know, it's, and you guys know now, like, it's like a nonstop, you know, mm-hmm. circus. It's a nice way of saying shit show. Yeah, circus. <laughs> it's a nonstop. It doesn't stop. And, but once you get the hang of it, you know, and I think I have the hang of it now, it's sort of just, you know, I don't know if you, it, like, if you imagine sound, you know, if it's just this frequency, you know, like this, once it reaches like a sort of frequency, it just sort of like, tapers off and, and what flattens. age is that what is is that five what is that like age of a child where things flatten out <laughs> oh no i don't mean the child i just mean like of chaos i mean if get, what age is the ever... chaos stop tell me tell me when it stops please yeah when well when it stops i'll i'll let you know, I'll you <laughs> know. i think just like being used to that chaos like when i'm on the set like i just it, i feel ready i feel like it, i don't know like unfazed Maybe, I don't know, that might be something you guys maybe see later. But yeah, I did this backwards, right? So like I had my kids first. I've had a a thousand really, really bad jobs that I've hated. And now I'm making movies. And so now it feels like when I'm on set, like that's that's good. That's all I want to do. And and 
it feels a lot better than anything else I've done. So, <laughs> so that part is, that part is easy, but everything else is hard. Yeah. So I'm curious, we ask this question often, we don't always do a good job of asking it, but like, what is your day job? Like, how do you pay for the bills? Like, are you doing, like you mentioned corporate video earlier, is that like how you're paying the bills now? Or do you do other odd jobs? Like, what's the secret? No, I've only done a few of those. And maybe that's good so that I didn't, you know, get sick of, of the camera. No, I've been managing an art gallery for a little over a year now. So it started mm-hmm. during the pandemic. And then before that, I was teaching filmmaking to adults with learning disabilities. Mm. It was a place called Options for All. And that was really fun. Met a lot of good people. Uh, It was like from, you know, from concept, from script writing, all the way through production, you know, camera, lighting, editing, music, post, and lots of, you know, really wild ideas. Before that, let's see, I'm going to give you my whole resume. (laughs) Well, before that, I've done a lot of like um, art installation. You know, like for museums and things like that, art handling. Nice. So yeah, but now you have a day job. You have the you're managing the art museums. So that makes sense. Gallery. Sorry, this yeah. spoke. But yeah, uh, that's awesome. So Liz, you have another question. I have another one, but I don't want to Bogart. No, go for your last question. So I feel like 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 Liz said, like you're a very different filmmaker than what we normally hear from, which is great. But I just want to get a little more context of like how you made your film. Like, so you mentioned a lot of it was like you just going over and getting shots as you needed them. But like on your biggest day, let's say like, how big was your team? Are you talking like four people, five people, 10 people? Like what, what are you working with? You know? And then if you can briefly say like what positions those people are filling, that would be great too. Sure. Yeah. So it'd be me, I'm a sound engineer, a producer for about half the movie. <laughs> we thought, well, he died. Oh, I'm so sorry oh to laugh at that. I just thought I'm they just bailed thinking. like other producers. Oh, Yeah, I guess so I set sorry. you up for that I, on accident. I'm just thinking oh. off the top of my head. Audio engineer, producer. I'd usually have like someone who's who's like a grip slash, you know, like, you know, it's like a grip slash gaffer slash PA slash everything. God, I'd say our biggest day was when we did like some stunt driving because then we had like a driver and then me behind the camera. So that, I mean, it's small. It's like really tight. Besides our actors, it's just me, a sound guy, and sort of like an everything man. So like super small. What's that for? Wow. wow. Yeah. I'd like to That's encourage you, you to, done. you should bring in an everything woman. You might get even more done. Yeah. If I could get them. Yeah. It's not, <laughs> we didn't really have a line around the block of like people <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, wanting to, to get on board. Are we ready for the final five or Let's final six it. now? I think it is because we've added sure. a new question. All right, Omar. What's the first film you made? How do you feel about it now? Ooh, very first film I made. That would have to, I think that would be 10th grade. I'm happy with it. I wish I could find it somewhere. In 10th grade, you learn about World War II, I think. I think that's 10th. And we had a, you know, a, an assignment, make a video about, I forget even what. I played all the parts and it was sort of like hmm. a masterpiece theater sort of a thing. No, I played all of the parts of the story and I don't remember it, but the... Um, the, the narrator guy was a friend of mine. So it was like a masterpiece theater thing, you know, like the leather chair with the fireplace and the pipe. <laughs> and he's like, tell him the story. And then I played, <laughs> I played this, like a, an infantry sort of like soldier in World War II who was always flirting with everybody else in, I don't know what you call it, company, battalion or whatever, you know, in my group. And we're getting shot at and I'm just like, flirting the whole time and like getting shot at, but like not getting hit, you know, and getting missed. And then 
fast forward to the future and I'm like reminiscing about how much I missed World War II because I had so much fun. <laughs> I loved it so much because of the response I got from my teacher. He turned off the VCR and he said, he took a pause and then he said, that is a disgrace <laughs> and it is offensive to anyone who has ever served <laughs> in the military. Oh said, my God. Okay, so look at like C, B, B minus. He hated it. I don't know. That was really fun to make. I liked it. That was my first movie, 10th grade. Amazing. What's the best filmmaking advice you have ever received? Oof. Um, maybe it would be, jeez. Uh, maybe, uh, you know, I, I think this was told to me or, you know, mentioned to me, I think in regards to art, but I think it applies the same sort of thing is that it's like, it's really like a, an exercise in like endurance. I think that goes, you know, that falls into like making movies is hard. It's definitely like an endurance sport, right? There's going to be, and I've found that at every sort of stage of filmmaking, whether it's like raising funds or, you know, like you're pitching, you know, you did this like pitch thing yesterday, you know, you get no, no, no. And you just get like a thousand no's. And you just have to keep going until you get the yes. Or whether you're shooting, you know, like doesn't work, doesn't work, doesn't work. You, you just got to keep going until, you know, eventually it does work. And that's endurance, I guess, or just seeing it that way, I guess, as an endurance sport. What's the worst filmmaking advice you've ever received? <laughs> Oof, worst. Worst, I would say, this, you know, wasn't given to me, but, you know, you hear a lot, you know, like, oh, you never make, and, and that's totally changed now, and that's a different world now, but you, you used to hear a lot, you know, like, oh, you never make, you never use your own money. You never use your own money. But I think that's also like an old Hollywood thing. I just think it's funny because like that's in my head, that's basically saying like, yeah, don't, don't never bet on yourself. Okay. <laughs> like, don't ever bet on yourself. I'd say that it, it's that like, you know, like don't use, don't you never use your own money. It's like, I've always used my own money and given I'm not like, you know, this giant <laughs> success, <laughs> but I think that's the only way. I think if you don't have, you know, like, rich a rich family or like some sort of you know connection or thing you just have to bet on yourself i think especially when you're getting started it's like your first thing like you throw down put some skin in the game get your first thing made and then you know the way i looked at it, and i'm gonna pontificate here which i normally don't normally do but at some point after i spent x amount of thousands of dollars on my own work i kind of decided that okay if i'm gonna keep on making movies it's my responsibility as a filmmaker to figure out how to raise the money like, I can't just keep on spending my money over and over again. And if I can't raise the money, then I don't have the right to be a filmmaker. So that's sort of what I put to myself. And then I was able yeah. to raise the full budget for my future. So I feel like, and I don't have any connections of any kind. So I feel like, you know, it's really a, a mindset, like where you put your head, you know, it's like, okay, like this is where I have to be. But I don't think there's anything wrong with doing it, you know, whenever you want to, or, but especially when you, you get started. Yeah. I think Martin Short talks about like when he first started off and said, I'm going to give myself, I don't know how much he gave himself a year or how many right. months or two years or whatever, you know, I'm going to give myself this amount of time. And if I don't make it, then I quit. And then he made it. So <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, that, that, um, you know, working under pressure, that can definitely work. I love that you bring up Martin short, like <laughs> so yeah. specific. The best. He's he is great. Big fan. Yeah. 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 Do you have a goal as a filmmaker, Omar? Yeah. Just, uh, make movies, you know, I'm definitely, I think in whatever you do, you know, whatever art form you start figuring yourself out and who you're going to be. And like, you know, there's lots of people who've like done it before you. And so you inevitably, I think like in your head sometimes compare, Oh, I want to sort of do what this person did. or I sort of want to do what this person did. 
and I know I am not like someone who who wants to put out just like just masterpieces or just great movies, but like every five, six years, you know, like I, I would love to, I would love to make like a movie a year. I would just, you know, just to keep making movies. I think that would be great. And not to say that like it would, you know, be crappy, but I think if you make a movie a year, you know, it, it's, it's a different sort of aim than, you know, making, I don't know, am I making sense, you know, like instead of like this one grand thing every five yeah. to six years, I think I would be in heaven if I was just like, making a movie a year. Even if it wasn't good? Even if it was just mediocre, would you still be happy? Well, as long as I'm happy, as long as I'm happy with it, because I think you can, you know, maybe someone can. I'm sure if I put out a movie a year, every single movie isn't going to be a financial success or a success maybe, you know, and received, you know, always the same. But as long as I'm happy with it, then, then yeah. If you could go back in time, what's the one piece of advice you would give yourself? Mm, yeah, probably, probably to start making movies. <laughs> there's no, there's no like a step. Usually you ask someone like, how did you get here? And there's like all these like little steps, you know, that like take you here. It, I don't have that. I've loved movies my whole life. I've been obsessed with movies. And for some reason, like I never had that thought of like, oh, I wish I could make a movie, but just can't like it's too hard like how would i even do that like i spent the last 20 years of my life doing you know difficult project after difficult project because it was interesting and the idea just never popped into my head it doesn't make sense i don't get it and i wish hmm. the voice would have popped into my head to say hey you should make movies <laughs> <laughs> final question is making movies hard parts of it yeah i think it definitely is oof I feel like if I say no, you're going to take a magnet you can, and erase you can say this no. whole... <laughs> we've, we've had like, what, five people say no, Liz, yeah, or something like that? Yeah, a few people. Like a few people have. Yeah. No, I, I, I just think it's like what I said before. Like, I feel really comfortable shooting, even when things aren't working out. And I think that comes, you know, without sounding like an asshole or something. Like, I think it comes from like a certain amount of like life experience and having actual bad things happen and catastrophes happen and knowing that you just like you keep going and so no for me it's not hard when i'm shooting but everything else is really hard everything else involved with movies is hard like this press release that i sent you guys like i wrote that all that stuff the pr stuff the marketing stuff the emails like i'm not making it up like that is hard man that is <laughs> it's really hard yeah i agree yeah. Thank you for being on the show. Yeah, we agree. Yeah. <laughs> no one likes doing that. We'd have to kind of trick ourselves into enjoying those kind of things. Yeah, I know. I sound kind of like whiny, right? But I'm like, it's writing. I'm going to start my own podcast called Writing Emails. It's hard. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it, it, you know, I don't know. I just think like, yeah, I guess I sound whiny, but things like that, you know, they, they suck the life out of you. I mean, what would you, you rather be? You don't, you, know, sa- you don't sound whiny. <laughs> There's no way. <laughs> Well, what would you rather be doing? Like <laughs> writing an email or, you know, shooting a movie? It's part of it though, right? Like that's, that's yeah. the thing that I think is such a trick about filmmaking. It's like there's so little time of the process spent on set, which is the most fun time for most people. Not everybody, but for most. And, you know, I feel like, yeah, everything else takes longer. Like editing takes longer. Raising the money takes longer. Writing the script takes longer. You know, like coming up with the shots, all this stuff, it all takes longer. But but it's all part of it. It's all necessary, you know, and especially when you have no money, it's all on you to do it. Yeah. 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 So I know I got nothing to complain about on that end. 
Last Sell question. your wares. So where people oh, go? Yeah. yeah. Sorry, Liz. No, no, no. Yeah. Tell us how to support you. Well, my website is standardfantastic.com. I have all my projects there and the, there's a link to the fellowship there. You know, if anybody's interested in that, if they know somebody interested in applying, we're closing on March 1st. Everybody, if filmmakers are like, you know, myself and like all the artists that I know, like I'm just going to get, you know, all the submissions the night before. So <laughs> standardfantastic.com. That's where everything is at. Instagram, standard period fantastic. That's all I got. <laughs> that's, all, that's all you need, a website. That's it. Yep. <laughs> all right. What do you remember about Omar? What are the details of this conversation that are in your mind? Oh, man. Well, I, I guess I, I had an idea of like what Omar was going to be like in my mind based on his, his letter that he wrote us that we mentioned in the show, like that he wrote this really awesome, you know, cold email to get to like pimp himself to be on our show. And I had in my mind, based off that, like this idea of like who this person was, that he was like a very like, you know, outgoing and like entrepreneurial type person, you know, and very like high energy. And he wasn't, he was more of a like uh, introspective artistic type with like, you know, lots of ideas of what's important in art, what's important for filmmaking, how he likes to make his films. And we had this fun little conversation about like, how he doesn't really count any movies that he makes that aren't shot on film, which I thought was really fun to discuss just a little bit. And, you know, we didn't really get into it too much. And he wasn't, didn't seem to be like a diehard person who was like, oh, anti-digital or anything, which, you know, we, we have had one of those on the show before, you know, Hassan, who, I don't know if he still listens, but Hassan out there, he's very fun. Anyways. Yeah, I just thought it was really interesting just to hear about his journey, about like like how he started off as an artist and how he found his way to filmmaking, and then how he wished he'd decided to make movies at a younger age, which, I don't know, I feel like almost every filmmaker feels that way, even if you started when you were like in high school, you're like, I wish I started when I was eight, and I wonder if the people who started when they're eight are like, I wish I started when I was five. <laughs> but anyways, Liz, what do you remember about our conversation with Omar? The same things. The point that is most salient is him talking about how he started having kids at an early age and then kind of lived that life. And now he's leading this second life as an artist now that his kids have, I mean, I don't know how old his kids are, but I think he kept saying 20 years, 20 years. So I assume they're in their early adulthood is what the, the presumption that I'm making here. And I think that's really interesting. I've been thinking a lot about whether to have a second kid or not. And just hearing these stories about essentially devoting years of your life to the child and not being able to make real progress in your career up until a certain point is something that just reinforces every fear I have. So I remember that part of the conversation. And I just remember thinking, you know, maybe five or 10 minutes into the conversation, like, I'm really glad we had him on the show. I think he represents a very unique point of view. Someone who loves process, who does things the hard way because he feels that they're the right way. And I think that's really cool. And you never hear that because usually it's just people desperately trying to get stuff off the ground and he's trying to do it with purpose. So I think that's great. Yeah, no, definitely a very unique guest for us and with unique perspective. Never heard anyone on the show quite like him before. So I hope everyone liked it. But we have a really fun article to talk about this week. This is sort of like a recap of the year of strikes and they call it the Workers' Rebellion in Hollywood. Is what, I don't know if that's the actual title of the, of, the, of the article, but that's sort of, you know, the gist of it. It's from The Hollywood Reporter. And, you know, it's all about how, like, there was, like, these big strides made over the year. 
But it's just the beginning. And like, you know, people were not very happy altogether with like what the Yahtzee strike resulted in, you know, and there was like, you know, I can't remember what the percentage was, but it was like 40% or something were, were voted against it or some, some percentage. I can't remember. But anyways, yeah, it's very interesting. But what, what did you think of it, Liz? Okay, yes, I thought this article was amazing. And it's when you're at the end of the year and you're like, oh, God, what has happened this year? It feels like nothing's happened this year. And then you see a breakdown of actually all of the strides we've made in this industry. It was very cool to see that summation. I also wanted to add a few things to the mix where, you know, the article talks about how agencies are barring themselves from packaging films, which I haven't really been fully in the loop on. I mean, I know that it's fallen out of favor, but uh, I always regretted not going with an agency because to package my first feature. And I've talked about it on the show before. And it's really great to think about not packaging as an act of rebellion rather than a missed opportunity. So that was really <laughs> exciting and empowering to me to realize, oh, yeah, well, I wasn't part of this bad system. So I'm glad I went the direction I did. And also, I love the emphasis on work-life boundaries. I wanted to mention that both Seed and Spark and Kickstarter are pivoting, or at least trying to pivot to a four-day work week. And I'm really hoping that that catches fire. So whether it's IATSE or the WGA gaining traction with agencies, or whether it's my friend Rebecca Green being quoted in this article about her producers union Mm -hmm. taking action. I mean, all of it is super exciting. I think we're all going in the right direction. I thought it's really interesting about the whole agents not being able to package anymore, because I actually had a, a meeting with hopefully a future guest last week who's a manager and they were saying that like because of that a lot of agents are becoming managers and like leaving the agencies behind and like either bringing their clients over or just you know getting away from being an agent so they have the ability to produce and to still package like they used to so it's like it's not, i don't know it doesn't really sound like it's necessarily solving the problem it's just making it like oh well, maybe you don't want an agent anymore maybe you actually want a manager instead or like maybe you want a manager who was an agent maybe that's more important you know i don't know it's just it seems all crazy the whole idea of like getting representation and like what's a good rep and who's how are they going to be able to help you and like what's it just seems like a mess and very challenging to navigate but yeah i can't wait to talk to this this manager because she said one thing that was really interesting that i will spoil here from i'm sure she'll say it but like she was like, yeah, because I, I, I opened with this whole idea where, you know, I'm sure you've heard this before. It's like, oh, yeah, you, when, a, when you're ready for a representation, right. they'll find you. Like when you're ready for an agent, for a manager, they'll find you. And she said something really funny. I said that to her and she's like, yeah, that's kind of like just like saying that like you just wish that like one day, like you'll just walk down the street and somebody will just hire you for a job that you didn't interview for or you didn't do anything for. That's kind of this weird like insane, wistful thinking approach to things that, of course, if you want representation, you're going to have to look for it. You're going to have to put in effort on your end. They're not going to just pluck you out of existence and, you know, make you a star. That's like some ridiculous, <laughs> like old school dream thinking, you know? So anyways, I'm just beginning to explore that avenue for myself and see what's out there. But anyways, I don't know. Great article. Yeah. Thanks, Eric, for finding this one for us. Good job, Eric. <laughs> Good job. Well done, sir. I wanted to bring up something for our last segment about acting classes because I took an acting class a few weeks ago. I've been wanting to talk about it for weeks. I've been chomping at the bit and we'll see if I remember all the things I was excited to talk about. But for those who don't listen to this show, 
I mentioned how I wanted to take an acting class to become a better director, but also to face this fear I have, like residual stage fright from a younger age, which I think resulted due to a falling out with my drama teacher. But whatever, we will get this is not therapy. I will get into it. (laughs) I took an acting class a few weeks ago and I was really scared for like weeks leading up to it. Really nervous about memorizing all my lines. And I'd practice the scene in my bedroom, pretending I was talking to another actor and I would do all of this prep. I would go through, underline, I mean, not even underline, but think about what is my motivation for every line. I get to the acting class. Turns out that was not what I should have done. And I took six hours of acting class in one day. It was a morning session and an evening session. One was a cold read and one was the memorized piece. And the teacher's paradigm with which he viewed acting classes is that it's actually about booking the job and not about connecting with your fellow actor. So he started giving everyone in the room advice about how you shouldn't look them in the eye. You should shut yourself down. You should stare at a place above their eyes so that you don't get distracted by their performance. He was saying, ultimately, it's about clearing your mind so that you're... It was like, oh man, I'm going to get it wrong. It was like there's a left brain, right brain thing. And you want to get more in one brain frame because one of them is going to create more worries and anxiety and the other one's going to let you live in the moment. Anyway, this is a lot of me talking to say, I was really taken aback because I thought acting class was all about being vulnerable and all about connecting with your fellow actor. And I, an actor in the class even asked the teacher, he was like, well, what's my objective for the scene? I haven't done that work yet. And the teacher said, your objective is to book the job. And that was it. (laughs) It wasn't about this like lofty, beautiful, idealistic view of acting that I thought a lot of directors have, which is, you know, like exposing yourself bare for the camera. So I guess I wanted to check in with you. Have you ever heard of anything like that? And what is your reaction to someone (laughs) saying that objectives don't matter when you are an actor? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess it, it all seems like the context, right? Like, are they saying the objective doesn't matter in the audition, but does it matters in the job, right? I mean, when you're actually doing the work, or was that not part of the class? Well, we were doing, he called them exercises, but we were doing scene work where we just perform the scene in front of everyone, and then you give notes. He never gave notes to better people's performance. They were always like, be louder, go bolder, because his perspective was to get the casting director's attention and that not enough people go bold. So all of his advice was audition minded, but the name of the class wasn't like book the role. The name of the class was like acting. So I'm a little bit confused. Yeah, I I guess my reaction is I've heard of classes like this, you know, but I feel like it's just one brand of acting class. Like there's like other brands that are all about character and all about like what you're looking for. And maybe you just got (laughs) found the wrong one by accident, you know? Yeah. I do think it's kind of weird that that's what they teach because to me, it really, it just makes me not like the system much because they're not pitching, they're not performing for you or I, right? For someone like us, like a, like a filmmaker, like an artist, like somebody who is looking for someone who has like this special spark or like this ability to really transform themselves into the character that you have in mind. They're trying to pitch to somebody who has like seen thousands upon thousands of actors read thousands upon thousands of different lot like scripts or whatever or scenes, and they're trying to like make themselves 
stand out to a person like that. And I feel like that person is looking for things that I would never think to look for or even maybe care about, right? Like I'm going to be more interested in like the subtleties of the specific work that they've like been working on and they've been translating. Like I don't care if I can hear them or not because maybe that's not what they're going for. And I'm, I need, it's my job to look into their performance to see if I can pull out what, I'm, what I want from what they, what they have. Right. And that's very different than what you're describing, which just sounds insane to me a little bit. He was saying that he was like directors or, you know, people in the casting room don't want to see that you want the role actor. They want to see someone who couldn't care less. And I just want to raise my hand and be like, no, it's really important to me that they want the role. It's really important to me that the actor is willing to like commit themselves and move their schedule around my project. Oh, like, yeah, I really need for them sure. to know that I, if they act like they couldn't care less, like that's a problem. And the other thing is, yeah, I did, a, I did the scene and I started off what I thought was quiet and vulnerable and maybe it didn't translate, but he's like, speak louder. It looks like you're nervous. And I was just like, well, isn't it good to seem like kind of human and awkward? I don't know. He wanted to kind of strip performances of anything that would be seem eccentric, that wouldn't seem confident. It was all about, oh, his whole line was be inscrutable. That's his whole thing. Be inscrutable. So the emotions you put forward should never draw a line from the beginning of the scene to the end of the scene. But humans are inscrutable. You never know why we do what we do. So your acting should be inscrutable as well. And that blew my mind because. That, yes, we humans are inscrutable, but we also like try to, to get other people to like us, you know, and we try to be funny. And there's like a lot of like objectives in everyday conversation that he's not acknowledging. And if you're just doing this mysterious thing, then like maybe, yeah, maybe you'll book the job because it looks like you're an actor of depth, but you're not acting like a human. You're just acting like someone mysterious. I don't bother me. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's very interesting. I feel like, like, like it's all about the performance they're giving for the specific character, specific piece to me. So if the character is written to be charming, like you want to see them be charming. Yeah. Like basically for me, like what I look for is like, like in the moments where I meet the person when they're not performing, like, and I, or if I know them even, like to see like how they're able to create a new character that it feels different than who they are as a person, but then also be part of themselves being brought into the character. Like some of my favorite performances from, from my lead actor, Ed, in, in the alternate are when I can tell that it's like something that he does, that he brought into Jake, that feels wholly like genuine. It's like, it feels so genuine because it's him, but it's also Jake, but it's them together. Like, there's a moment where he's totally lying his ass off to the other person. And he's, like, trying to play, like, oh, whatever. And, like, she just thinks it's her husband, so she's not even, like, paying attention. So it's, like, this beautiful moment of him, like, bringing in his own personality, like, doing this thing where he's, like, trying to bullshit this other version of his wife. And then her, like, being on another level and not catching it. It's just, like, this beautiful thing that, like, if he did any of the things that this acting person is saying... Like, wouldn't exist. Like, it wouldn't be part of his work. So it just sounds like, I don't know. Like, it, it almost sounds like this is part of the problem, like, why actors suck. <laughs> because they go into to auditions doing this, 
And then when they do roles on TV shows or movies, it's like they're cut off from bringing themselves into the, the character. And so then performances feel flat. Well, yes, I agree with that. I totally agree with that. But I also think there's a degree of self-protection going on here where he was talking about the method and sense memory and all of these techniques and, you know, strategies for acting. And he was like, why put yourself through all that emotional trauma over and over and again to get a role? So I think to a degree, his idea of clearing your mind and not connecting with the other actor is like a a wall of self-protection. And I do think that actors, you know, as we all know, are just put through an assembly line as if they're a product and that's horrible. So they do have to like form some sort of walls to help them. But just like you, my favorite moments working with actors are when something clicks. And for me, it's like a glimmer in their eye. I mean, it's that stupid, like I have a secret acting where I can see like them kind of smile inside. And it's I don't even know how to describe it. I didn't even think to describe it until you started describing what you like. But for me, it's like a a little glimmer in someone's eye. And that's where I'm like, yeah, we got it. Like, I'm so excited by this. And usually that's, yes, a degree of authenticity, vulnerability, and charm that comes from connecting with the other person, not from pretending the other person isn't there. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, this now makes me want to find a real acting class and do it. And I mean, what about you? Are you going to try to find another class and do this again? Or are you now just turned off from the whole experience? and You're like, I don't want to do it. Well, I asked. So Jeff Perry was in my second feature and he's a pretty well-known. He's part of the Steppenwolf theater group and he's a really wonderful actor and he's recommended another teacher to me that I think would be appropriate but I have to say I was so nervous about this one class I don't really want to put myself through it again because this sounds like if I go somewhere else they're going to make me connect and be vulnerable and authentic and that that's the scarier task at hand so I think I have to work my way up to it yeah wow crazy he's crazy Jeff, he was great in your movie, by the way, because he, yeah. he played the older, the, the husband of the older version of the character. Yeah. 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 He was brilliant. It was good. <laughs> and now I want to work with him. All right. Well, if you want to, you know, just we haven't had like many or any You've Got Mail segments or what used to be You've Got Mail in many, many moons. But if you want to ask us a question, give us a comment or a suggestion. You can send that to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com and we'll read it on the show. If you really like the show, you can leave us a review on iTunes, which would be amazing. And finally, you can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at MMIH Podcast and YouTube at Making Movies is Hard Podcast. Thanks so much for Omar Lopez for coming on the show. It was really awesome. Thanks for reaching out with your email. Just goes to show people that cold emailing does work sometimes. Thanks to our editor, Jeff Freimuth, for doing the editing. And thanks to our awesome producer, Eric Toms, for being awesome. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Happy holidays. I hope you all enjoy the, the holiday weekend. This uh, Well, I guess it just happened. So I hope you enjoy the new year that's about to happen. Happy New Year. And we'll talk to you guys all in the new year. Uh, anything else you want to say about it, Liz? No. Okay. <laughs>